Are there nerds here tonight? Nerds! You are a part of the lucky 10,000 with your hosts, Evan. Being a nerd, it's not about what you love. It's about how you love it. Hey guys, this is Evan with the Lucky 10,000 bringing you another special in-between season episode. And this episode I would like to entitle Narcissism Unbound because <laughs> uh, by the time you hear this episode, hopefully the second book in the Herminder series, The Chine, will be available on Audible. And so I thought, you know what? I like to pretend I'm a big deal sometimes. I like to have that fantasy of being interviewed about anything because I just talk about myself all the time, and I thought it might be fun to actually have sort of a back and forth with the author of Herminder, Teddy Ray, and her husband, Trevor Furlong, of Teddy in the Baseman fame, sort of a back and forth interview about our processes, because now this will be the second book we've worked on together. Mm -hmm. uh, we've worked a lot together, but I don't think either of us know what our actual process is. No. And for all you people out there fangirling that <laughs> Teddy Ray and Evan Harris are in the same room... Fangirl away. I know. It's it's imagine it's it's hard to believe this much awesomeness is it's in the really same true. room together. It's really true. I'm quite excited. I'm fangirling a little bit myself. <laughs> so guys, right. thank you for doing this. <laughs> and uh I just want to start out by saying, Teddy, uh this is the Herminder series is your first series of novels, correct? That is correct, yes. And you started with fan fiction. I did. Did you always want to be a writer? It's funny because for a long time, I have wanted to write and I've written. I actually wrote a series of short stories years ago about my family, and it was called My Dad Pat and Other Family Jewels. And a very vindictive ex-husband destroyed mm. the manuscripts and all of the copies, the electronic copies. So I have one tiny snippet of one of the stories, and that was all that was left Well, that me. stinks. And... I nearly gave it up. Yeah. Uh, well, in fact, I did give it up. I gave it up for about 20 years, actually, and started writing little snippets of things as they came to me. I always tell the story that her minder came about because I was on the tube one day in London, and I saw a very handsome man seducing a woman on mm. the tube. And I was... It was me. <laughs> I and it did not you go well. Familiar, and it didn't. It, no, it didn't go. Familiar. No, it's funny. The uh, uh, the characters in your books' ways of seduction are so much better than mine. <laughs> like you know, think of it as a self help guide. Maybe I, I I need to follow some of their rules because you know if you don't know, Herminder is a, is a, I would say a, a, an erotic kink spy series. Yeah, and uh, the two male leads are called Dalra and Elwes, and they're very, you know, sexy and self-assured, and I could just see them doing something really sexy, whereas my tact would probably be, can I, can I kiss you right now? Please? <laughs> okay, just please? Just a little bit? Oh, yeah, no, don't do that, Elwes. But also don't your books that. are sort of a response to Fifty Shades of Grey as well. They, they're they a response to a couple things. Um, The first was that I was in a very much a dominant, submissive relationship mm -hmm. in my previous marriage. But an unhealthy one. Very toxic, very unhealthy one. And uh, I started writing this because a friend of mine wrote a very sexy fan fiction, mm -hmm. dominant, submissive story, and I was so inspired by it. Now, if you guys don't know, fan fiction is where someone a long time ago went, what would it be like if Kirk and Spock fucked? Yes. And then just people started writing it, and it spread to 
all genres usually fantasy am i correct yes usually fantasy i got into the harry potter Mm -hmm. fan fiction world uh, fan fiction verse as they call it mine was specifically the ship of severus snape and hermione granger as lovers which is a very titillating uh and when i first heard it is but i hope she graduated at least yes (laughs) yes absolutely yes she is of age as they say and they that's a really really big deal because it's all um it's all non-canon because Mm -hmm. of course by the time she gets of age snape in the books has been long i mean they're wizards yeah they can do anything (laughs) so yeah you have to do a little bit of pulling and pushing of of the stories but when I first heard of this particular pairing, I thought, ooh. And then I read it and I was like, wow. Yeah. I loved it. And I started writing Herminder because I thought, I love this idea, but I need to kind of put a fresh coat of paint on my own life. Mm-hmm. And I have to do this because what I went through was not a healthy relationship. Right. And I but, think that's what I do like about, and, and Trevor, you're here and you guys can, and one of the things I love about you guys is you're so open and honest about everything. You are in a Domsob relationship. And I think people misunderstand that a lot. And I think especially some people I've encountered who consider themselves dominance, it's, it is, it does become an abusive thing. They're yes. in it for the abuse. Yes. And talk about that, Trevor. Have you have you seen a lot of that yourself? Well, the thing is, um, the the sub controls the relationship, right. not the dom. Right. The dom is able to go as far as the sub will let them, and no further. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the constant dialogue means you can grow with the relationship. Uh, and it might be that you have the same relationship for um, 20 years and then something changes mm-hmm. and it, it steps up a notch. It step down a notch mm-hmm. even, but it's a very interactive thing. And, I and it's think- also something that takes time oh, yes. to really establish. Yes. It's not just... I'm going to dominate you now, and now we're in this relationship, and I can do whatever I want. No, it's trust. Right. Absolute trust, you know, uh, uh, from from both, from both And it's parties. also not just about sex. It is a lifestyle. Yes, 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 it, yes. It's, it's a lot about how – a lot of people think of a submissive as being someone who is essentially a doormat, who cannot mm-hmm. speak for themselves, who, who always have to defer to – Right. And, and that's not really – or it shouldn't be how it is. It should. Now, there are some relationships where that is the preferred way of doing things, where the dom absolutely takes over every single aspect of that But again, of that those relationships life. are taking time, earn trust, and there's a healthy version of that. Yes, there is a healthy version of that. And it has to be your, your dom has to be very, very confident mm-hmm. and very, very understanding of psychology and uh, how to to approach this without becoming a damaging thing right. because it, it can be incredibly damaging it it i was gaslighted mm-hmm. I, and we've talked about this in episode mm-hmm. 10 of the baseman and that was so dangerous mm-hmm. and now that i know that that's not how it has to be i i know what i've been on the good side of things and, that's, and i wanted to write about it that's one of the things i do find interesting and every time i describe her minder because it's the one that's out on audible right now so anytime i'm trying to sell it to someone 
especially someone sort of in the kink community, I always say it's I start by saying it's the anti shades of gray. Yes. Because yes. I haven't read Fifty Shades all the way through. But I can say the the complaints I've heard and I can testify to at least a few of these. The writing is awful, oh, but it also yeah. shows that relationship in a very negative yeah. light. Can you guys talk about Because I well, don't know if you've ever gotten real specific into why that book is dangerous. I, I think that a lot of um, certainly women's um, fantasies that they haven't addressed were addressed in Fifty Shades of Grey, but the 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 uh, dom part of it is completely um off kilter mm-hmm. and it a lot of women might have a a skewed idea of what a dom's place is right. what they have in in the relationship and i think it was I, well, the thing is teddy wrote the book um before Fifty Shades of Grey came out, right? Uh, and well, started writing it. So the the pitch was skewed mm-hmm. by the 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 bad uh, um, yeah. writing and the and, ba- and the. What is it in that book specifically that is so unhealthy and paints that relationship in such a negative way? Well, for one thing, yeah, the the writing is is pretty it's dire. Not good. I, when when I that's the platform of it is that the writing is is quite bad. It also um, it portrays him as being someone who himself is emotionally damaged, mm-hmm. and therefore doesn't mind damaging other people and kind of gains his power from damaging other people. Right. Um, he treats her uh, as if she's stupid, as if she's uh, of little worth. He is overbearing. He's abusive. He says some very, very, you know, cruel things to her. And this is supposed to be uh, the dominant. I mean, the whole point of a dominant is to build up that submissive. Right. And it's in the book, Fifty Shades, when it first came out, the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, when it first came out and I hadn't read it, I thought, you know, this could be good for me. Right. Because I'm working on mine. I'd been working on it before then. And in fact, I'm going to actually, I forgot about telling you this, but I'm going to show you the very first copy of her minder. You won't recognize it. it. It looks totally different. It was completely just kind of erotic scenarios. It was almost like a, an anthology of like fantasies that they right. acted out. And I decided that I wanted it to be a little bit something with a bit more substance to it. So I was quite excited when Fifty Shades came out. I thought, oh, great. This is going to pave the road right. for, for others. And to be fair, it still can. It can. Because it, it was so popular. In a, in a different way. And ironically, my mother loved Fifty Shades. Yeah, I know a lot of people that did. And, and I kept telling her, Mom, this is so not right. And she said, well, you know, it's that's because it's made up. It's not real. I said, it is real. That's the problem mm-hmm. is that this is real and that people who don't know better think this is how people live i guarantee you there are some guys who consider themselves dominants out there that yes, have used that book did. as a template yeah and it's like a, a dom friend of mine who is a real true absolute dom dr spankenstein yeah. uh, our good friend down in myrtle beach said put it perfectly he said if christian gray had been making twenty five thousand a year and lived in a trailer park. <laughs> he would be arrested for abuse. Yeah, yeah. Instead of this rich guy, and he said, and that's the most unrealistic thing of all is that rich men don't have time 
or patience or the generosity enough right. to be a true dominant. There's also a time and a place for the dom-sub relationship. Right. It's not an everyday right. occurrence. You don't have the male saying to the female or vice versa, this is the where we this is the way we're going to uh, um this is the way we're going to uh uh, lead of life from right. now on. I'm going to be dominant. You're going to be submissive. You don't have any options things. or choices on yeah, your yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. That's just not. If, if that's what's happening, then she needs to get the hell out yeah. of there. We we're, um, we're the people. We're we're, we're a partnership, mm-hmm. and it was always um, a partnership. It was not wasn't a a dom submissive. In all walks of life. I think it's easy, though, for people that don't understand it to mischaracterize. I know somebody that considers themselves a slave and is proud to call themselves a slave. They have a master. Mm -hmm. And people hear that and it sounds so awful and and, and bad and dirty. That's just what they like to call it. Mm -hmm. Like to talk to this person, they're a completely normal person. Yeah. Yeah. They, They don't have any weird issues. It's just that they like knowing that there's this person that cares about them that can help them make certain decisions that they find too hard to do on their own and also it's not a situation where that person couldn't leave the relationship if they wanted if they just decide one day this isn't working out for me anymore he doesn't have a contract that he's waving in front of her going i'm your master he's not gonna lock her in the basement right it's it is all about aesthetics it's all about how you refer to one another and there are so many subgenres mm-hmm. within that genre that you have the master slave, you have the tops, you mm-hmm. have the bottoms, you have the switches, you have, there's, there's a whole lexicon and a whole vocabulary of how people choose. And it to just live doesn't sound like what's her face took the time to really research it. I don't know if she's a no. kink person herself, whoever wrote 50, I can't remember her name, but um, it doesn't sound like she actually took the time to go deep. And really research it, which is one of the things I like about your books, Teddy, is that I've dabbled in kink. I'm definitely interested in certain aspects of it, but I just don't have the time or the courage in some cases to like really dive in. But I've actually learned a lot Mm -hmm. about the way a healthy sort of kink society works from reading your books. And also, if you're listening to this and you haven't heard or read Herminder, (laughs) it's not like it just boom, starts and they're in this relationship, it takes a long time for the two leads to actually even get to that relationship point. So it's earned. It's not just like, I think he's hot. Okay, he can whip me now. Yes. Yeah. That was the one thing that I wanted to show is that there had to come a point where they had to establish Mm the boundaries and they both had to agree on it. And and everything that was done was agreed upon. I mean, the the whole mantra of, of... the, the kinkster community is safe, sane, and consensual. Right. We always end our podcast with those those three words because that kind of encompasses everything. And it, it's, it means that you are agreeing to this, but you also know that, that what you're agreeing to is not something that's going to ultimately hurt you. And some people do agree to some really rough stuff. Like if you just were to wander onto that site not knowing that this has all been agreed upon and and discussed beforehand, you would think some awful stuff is going on. But in my experience anyway, the hardcore subs that really love pain that I've I've met are just like, no, I, 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 it doesn't look pleasant. 
but that's exactly what I wanted to yeah, happen. That's kind of, and I, I know my own self and, and we've talked about, I mean, we've spent hours talking about the concepts of spanking and mm-hmm. things like this. And this is something that we're probably one of the few couples that actually don't talk a lot about these things with other Kingster couples. We, we have a, a, a couple that, uh, a friend, some friends of ours and they make us look vanilla. They're yeah. just, they're really yeah. out there. But, you know, we've, we've talked about this and that as a sub, when I say I want to be spanked, it's not, it's, it's usually has nothing to do with sex. It has to do with like a catharsis that Mm -hmm. I need at Mm -hmm. that time. And, you know, fortunately, the base man is, is actually very accomplished at this and not, he doesn't hurt me. Right. But it, it hurts. I don't, but there are people out there that yeah. want a level they of do pain. Want pain. And it's they not, again, pain. as long as it's not yeah. against their will, yes. as long as all the constraints are constructed around it to make sure it is safe. Like I know people who show off really bad looking bruises with pride. Yes. And if you were to see that act, you would think it was something awful. Well, Dr. Frankenstein did a whole series of needle play, which is how I found out about the when it's part of the book it actually takes place in a a very Mm non-consensual moment in in the book but i had you know some conversations with him about needle play which i'm terrified of needles Mm -hmm. that to me was like the most unhealthy thing i could think of and yet you know he said the people you have to understand that the people who are into that the people that want that that kind of pain is something that they welcome they welcome the endorphins mm-hmm. that it brings on mm-hmm. they welcome the idea that they've been able to do it that they were right. tough enough to endure it you know there's a lot of psychological things going on underneath the, the physical and that's the part that he says you have to really baby you have to really make sure and if you know the minute that they go no no this is to you know you that's stop. where it yeah. is you know the big difference between 50 shades of gray and the herminder series is your books are um, informed you know the, also the, teddy the, can write yes yes exactly <laughs> but you well, know i you. we I did that. Uh, you got to the sort of the law angle and and the mm-hmm. legal angle mm-hmm. for me for yes. the work in the police and you your book is um, informed by the uh, Kingster community, right? Uh, uh, the S and M. I mean, if I didn't know something, I found somebody who would tell me. Right? Yeah, that's important. Yeah, and and as I said, baseman. And I think that's important invaluable with anything. With, yeah, he was invaluable on the kind of the legal side, the the um the whole governmental side, the 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 agency side. You guys have seen Throw Mama from the Train, right? That Billy Crystal, Danny DeVito movie. Yeah, a long time yes. ago. One of my favorite moments in that whole movie is at the beginning, Billy Crystal is a, a failing novelist who's actually a very good writer who's teaching his writing class to amateurs. And this woman is just, when the scene starts, this woman is just finishing up a short story she just wrote for the class about a submarine. And the line is, and she's trying to be really dramatic in it. And she goes, and then the captain said, bring the thing that goes down, down. And Billy Crystal's criticism is like, maybe you should know what the thing that goes down Down. is called. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of feel like that's the case, especially with books like Fifty Shades or where they just said, I just want to write it. And I've tried to write short stories 
screenplays. I did write some scripts for a short web series, but there weren't there were maybe 10 pages tops of each episode. It is hard. I don't have the patience or the focus to do it. I just don't. It It, it is hard. And, and when I first started doing the fan fiction, I started out with what they call drabbles, mm-hmm. which are 100 page, 100 word bites. Oh, and it sounds like, oh, that'd be, you'd be amazed at how much you can say in a hundred words and how little you can say in a hundred mm-hmm. words. I'm very verbose, as you know, after having I'm, read 124,000 of my words. I have you know? two podcasts. Yeah. And I'm recording one in the hopes of getting interviewed. <laughs> I like to talk. But yeah. And, and so I was, it, it was kind of daunting to say, I'm going to start this and I'm going to finish it. A friend of mine had suggested, give it a try, have it, make it work. And then I, I wrote this. The bass man read it and it was the most magical moment because he looked at me like he'd never seen me before. Yeah. Said, this is really good. Do you guys have a relationship where you do honestly think if he had some constructive criticism, he could say, maybe do this or do that. And you wouldn't take it too personally. Cause we were just having this conversation oh, before yeah. we recorded that sometimes artists who come up to you and say they want constructive criticism are the biggest hypocrites on the planet <laughs> because they can't handle it. It's, it's funny because I have, we do a lot of talking because we work together. We walk in the mornings uh, around. Would you say Trevor's a, a co-writer? He is a bit of a co-writer in that, <laughs> I will say, I float something by him. I'll say, look, let me just run this by you. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this scenario? And he will sometimes just take it in a little tiny direction, like like two degrees off mm-hmm. from where I was going. And suddenly the road opens yeah. up. And I think, oh, my God, yes, of course. Or I will be talking. Just He'll say, well, tell me what it is. I'll start talking and suddenly it opens up for right. me. You know, my, my brain opens it up. But yeah, we spend a lot of time. We we talking. do a, a lot of driving, and Teddy will say, "Here's my uh, scenario. What do you think of it?" And I'll say, "I mean, I'm great at reorganizing her words. Oh. I couldn't uh, write what no, she writes, but um, she'll suddenly say, you know, what about what? What do you think about that?'" And I said, "Well, if you take it there," and she'll say, "Hang on, I could do, and almost I don't need to." sort of um, uh, lead her. She's up on... And, and it's almost like therapy. Like a good therapist knows the exact right question to ask or <laughs> yeah. thing to say to get you to go where you yeah, should without forcing you to go that he's, way. He's brilliant to that. And he always helps me out and i do i'm I'm working on the third book now yeah. and that's and it's going to be a big one because it ties everything together it puts all together uh in this story there's the, the big nemesis is called the silver birch society or silver birch and i've got to give i've they've been in the shadows for two yeah. books i've just been kind of lurking in the shadows i've got to bring them out of the shadows i've got to make them the star of this right it scares the living shit out of me i've written almost forty thousand words that i will probably scrap they'll never make it yeah that was going to be my next question from beginning to publishing <laughs> how long does it take you to write a novel how long is a piece of string rewrite constant rewrites right it's it's uh i'm happy with that i'm not happy with that so well uh teddy takes a bit out and she doesn't delete it she puts it to one side and she'll butt up a another one oh yeah i'm happy with that and she'll get two chapters into the story and she said no i need to uh mention that sooner in the book so the the book 
when it's getting re, uh, getting written is a a de- different book oh, yeah. right the one that comes out oh yeah is I, there is there an average length of time though is it the same like the, writing the first book took as long as the second book well what happened is writing it doesn't take that long it's going back and and just kind of tweaking it i i have spent a whole day rearranging four paragraphs because mm-hmm. i knew that they were in the wrong place and i had to fix i could never them. do that and and i i write a really stupid way anyway most people will tell you and most good writers and most famous writers will say just write it all down shovel all the shit you know just it's like pouring sand into a sandbox so you can make sandcastles out of it later and they're just saying shovel it in shovel it in i tend to do it more and at what i call the um the cross stitch mm-hmm. approach. I tend to be very meticulous as I go. Well, because we've talked it, on, it, uh, I think, uh, our crossovers before about how certain brilliant novelists really shouldn't write that way. Yeah. Because Stephen King is very fond of saying that he has no idea where his stories are going to go. He just starts <laughs> writing them. Sometimes it's brilliant. And then sometimes it sometimes goes off the Jesus Christ. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like, okay, what is it? What are you? Are you? Might glue? I just refer to you to the cosmic turtle in it? Yes, or well, the cosmic turtle shows up a lot of times in the Dark Tower series. Don't oh. even get me started on the Dark Tower series. But yeah, you you do. I am a big person. You know me, Evan. You know I am not a religious person. Mm-mm. I'm not even close to being a religious person. I am what I consider to be a spiritual person. And I do believe, and this is one of my airy fairy things, is I do believe that I have kind of a spiritual muse. That, yes, some that people would call out. that demonic possession. Yes, <laughs> yes. If it is, he's fucking awesome. Um, but I have I have noticed this tiny little still small voice all my life. Yeah. I've never credited it to God. I've always thought I was a little bit crazy. But I have sat and very quietly said, what do I do next? Tell mm-hmm. me where to go next. I never don't receive an answer. Well, I think most people with a creative streak have something like that. Uh, I saw an interview with Steve Harvey where he was talking about how comedians have a third eye because they see the initial and then they see something else and that's where they pull the mm-hmm. jokes from. And I think a lot of creative people are like that. There's this little thing that just isn't able to accept things for what they are. Mm-hmm. And you go, if I dig a little bit, yeah. I'll find an answer for me. Well, Stephen King said it. Uh, he, his book on writing is you know, a yeah, I have read that. Yeah, it's great. And uh, he he said, you know, my muse isn't some fairy sitting off in a in a glade plucking a harp. He's got a hard hat on and some yeah. steel toe boots, and that fucker is making me work like a dog. He's he's really difficult. And he said, let's face it, if you sat around waiting for your muse to show up, you're not going to write a, right. a word. Normally, he shows up if he just sees you just plugging along and you need some help. You know, everybody has that help. different muse. With Stephen King, it's the hard hat guy. Yeah. With you, it's that voice in your head. Quentin Tarantino, it's feet. Everybody has a yeah. muse. But the thing is, the voice He's will a huge tell you guy. when you have a, um, a fallow period, the voice will come to you and say... Um, will give you a, a lead start, you know, mm-hmm. a head start, but will also say uh, later on in the book, I wouldn't do that. Right. That's oh, yeah. not me. And sh- uh, Teddy's listened to that voice so much that the, her character, uh, Dara, is written uh, in sort of co-op- cooperation with the voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, the voice to say... Uh, I can't do that, or right. I wouldn't do that, or well, it's it, too much. It's like what Anne Rice used to talk about when she would write the Vampire Chronicles, mm-hmm. that she felt like Lestat 
was there. Yes. Like helping her going, I wouldn't I wouldn't yeah. say that. I, I think of Lestat as being her muse. Yeah. He, he was the one calling the shots. I also have to say that I am also blessed with an amazing editor. You sure? Uh, she has made humongous. Can you give her a shout out name wise? Well, I I will give her a shout out by the the name that she goes by, which okay. is St. Julik. Okay. And I call her Jules for short. Um, she lives out in California. We've never actually physically met. Really? We, we speak all the time. We we converse back. We text back and forth all the time. She is an amazing human being. And she approached me when in the fanfic years, and she said, "I think you've really got a nice style, and uh-huh. I like what you're writing." But I think I can help you. And I said, yes, I grabbed her with both hands. And she's been brilliant. And I'll tell you why. Because she is 100% loyal to the story. Right. She doesn't give a shit about my ego. She doesn't give a shit about my vanity. She doesn't care about my feelings. She is like 100% the advocate of that. Someone comes to you, because this is for people who might be listening to this, don't know the writing process at all, and says the phrase, kill your darlings. Yes. What do you say? I... Well, we've always done this. I've always trusted her. And a lot of times she's right. Every once in a while, I will go, no, I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. And I've never been sorry that I did. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times she has come up and said, you can do better. You can Mm -hmm. do better than this. Go back and and fix this. This is not as good as you can make it. And she's always right. And what does that phrase mean to you? Kill your darlings. It means taking something that you really love and getting rid of it. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't further the story. Yeah. Because it's, it's either bogging the plot down. It's not, um, it's, it's been contrary to, Mm -hmm. I've got a real, uh, she's, she's asked me to murder a particularly good darling that starts very close in the book three at the beginning of book three. And I'm still debating on it. I'm still I'm still holding aloft the knife. It's hard, man. You know, I was listening yeah. to an interview with Josh Gad. Uh, he was the first guy that was in the Book of Mormon. He played Brother Cunningham mm-hmm. when it first hit Broadway. And you know, he's the voice of the snowman in Frozen. And he's had a great career since then. But he was on Opie and Anthony. And they were asking him about the process of the show. And he goes, let me tell you something. Trey and Matt wrote some songs that were hysterical that you will never hear mm-hmm. because they had them in the show. They were great. And then they went, this doesn't do anything. Nothing nothing is being pushed forward. Mm -hmm. So take it out. Even though the songs probably would have been beloved. Yes. And I think that's kind of, as a a writer, what you have to do, right? You do, because there are little bits that I've written and... There are things, especially when I listen to you reading them back. Well, we'll get to I'm that here, in a minute. I know, we're going to get to that in a minute. But in this process, one of the things I always do is read my stuff aloud as mm-hmm. I write it to make sure that it scans well, that it sounds natural when you're speaking their dialogue, that it doesn't sound stilted or weird or anything. And there have been times when I've thought, oh, I really like that turn of phrase, or I love that little situation. Mm-hmm. But those are sometimes the ones that I have to murder because it's just pretty words strung together right. in a really pretty way and they don't do anything. Right. And I those- call that Jim Morrison's poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Or, or Stevie Nicks's poetry. If you ever yeah. notice, nothing that Stevie Nicks writes makes any sense. It's a lot of beautiful words yeah. that are strung together and they sound great, but they don't mean anything. And that's, those are the darlings I end up having to mm-hmm. murder. Is this because I love a turn of phrase. I'm mm-hmm. a real, I'm from the real Pat Conroy school of descriptive narrative. Yeah. I love to describe things in certain ways. Well, your I characters love- talk especially the leads in a very specific way. Yeah. Dara and Ella speak in a very specific way yeah. that I find interesting. And, and I wanna, I'm, I'm intrigued. What, and, and they don't talk like regular people most oh, of the no. time. No, 
Uh, it's it's a very erudite. It's very like even though Ellis is not quite as upper crust as Dalra is, they use words that I would never use, mainly because I don't know them. Like what? I'm I'm so intrigued. <laughs> I can't remember. Okay. It's a blur right now. I just know that there are words I had to look up. Okay. Well. <laughs> One of the things that I did say, and I said this, I was doing an interview with um, a a, a FET kind of chat room mm-hmm. about this. As I said, these were romantic leads. Right. So I had to make They them, should be heightened. They should be heightened. They should be. And and Sydney, as a as a woman, I wanted to keep her sort of grounded. She, she and, is. And keep she absolutely her, is. And, uh, and again, because you read her so and well, don't, you don't read get, her And don't way. take that as an insult either. I wasn't no. trying to, like, I know you. No, like, oh, I God. don't take it at all. Okay, okay. I, that's, <laughs> I wanted to keep her grounded. I wanted to keep No, her. I mean I mean what I said about Elvis and, and, and Dalra being, like, heightened and no, not talking no, like I, normal people. Absolutely, they do. And, and it was because... I wanted them to have because they were romantic leads. Mm-hmm. They had to kind of have that kind of dashing sort of thing, like real people, but slightly, almost one foot in in the fan, yeah. the fantastical. Yeah, um, yeah, just the real Byron-esque yes, type. Yes, absolutely. Type of heroes, and I have met people that sounded like them, mm-hmm. but maybe weren't you know uber handsome. And I've met uber handsome guys that sounded like ducks right and they've and, got it all yeah and they they were the ones that had it all it's which james is, bond it. they they had it all they it's had james bond he's everything to everyone yeah he's the man that guys want to be and he's the guy that women want to be with yes and i think in a in a novel series like this you have to have that somebody has to be that yes and it, to, for it to work to on that level and I, but I did want for the other characters to have some level of, of realness. Oh, they too. absolutely do. Um, so I made Garnet, you know, a real, you know, real geezer. Yeah. And, and I made, um, Inigo Lightoller is based on someone that the baseman actually knew. His name was Inigo Bing. Oh, Bing. Inigo yes. Bing. Inigo Bing. Inigo Alo- a- no, it was somebody like Inigo Aloysius Bing. Yeah, yeah he's a, a high court yeah. judge. He's a high, high court, court judge now. Yeah. Um, and he, he that is the of, most English name know, I've ever heard. Isn't it wonderful? I named him after Lightoller was the second in command of the Titanic. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, the Charles Charles Lightoller was, and I love that name for some reason. It's a cool it name. Beautiful. And so that's where he got his name. But he is re- basically the Brian Collins character is also based mm-hmm. on him a little bit in in who he was and and all those people again very grounded. But there's even when you get to the scenes where like it's in a club or something like that. Yeah. Everything becomes more. Everything becomes yeah. heightened. Everything becomes so ceremonial. Yeah. You know, I found that interesting because I've never actually technically been to a club. I would like to go. I'm going to go someday. <laughs> but what I wanted to ask you, too, you talk about all the research you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you have easy access to those communities. What about the spy stuff? How did you research that? Well, I did a lot of I, I did a lot of asking. And uh, because the baseman worked with the Met. That is and right. Yeah, he yeah. Worked, yeah. He worked a lot with like the undercover people. So you really know the way law enforcement worked yeah. in England. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anyway. I, I only, I never had to look up anything about law enforcement because I could just ask. Yeah. I mean, and, I, and he was a great British resource. But your lead well. character, Sydney, and I'm, I'm saying this for people that are listening mm-hmm. that haven't maybe read or heard yeah. the books yet, is like a deep undercover like badass agent mm-hmm. who's been doing this for years. She's seen it all. She's done it all. You do meet her at a time when she's probably at her most vulnerable. That's mm-hmm. when the audience is introduced to her. But how do you kind of poke your head into that world and know that you're writing it from maybe not necessarily the most real place? Because, again, 
I, I, I guarantee you 90% of what goes on in real spy agencies is the most boring shit yeah. ever. Well, it, she said, you know, 2% action, 90%. Right. It's like that's it's one of my favorite work. things about uh, uh, Hot Fuzz yes. is they address the paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's good um, to have a story with a strong principled woman. I do too. As, as the, the, the base of the, yeah. the story. Cindy Chapin came into my head when I was about 18 years old. Um, and it was because I was a big fan of a film and a book by Ken Follett called Eye of the Needle. Okay. I don't know if you know it, but it's I a do not. fabulous spy I don't novel. read well. No. <laughs> I can't focus. <laughs> I, can't, I can't read a book. I can't focus. Yeah, it's, it's, it was made back in the 80s. Um, it starred Donald Sutherland as a German mm. spy in World War II. It's great. But I became quite intrigued with the whole idea of a female spy or some and the name came up i don't remember exactly why but i like the idea of her having a male name mm-hmm. and that had never occurred to me yeah i guess i've always associated sydney more with, with women but yeah now yeah. that you mention it yeah it's a it's usually a man's name yeah but the name came to me and i wrote like these little scenarios in a notebook in long before there were such things as personal computers about this spy named Sidney Chapin and how she and in my original in, in my incarnations then it was during World War Two and she was a spy for for Britain in World War Two and so that for some reason I never quite lost her yeah. so all those years later she came you back you should publish those someday once you're finished with the third book. <laughs> if I ever could find them I think they're yeah. long gone but. It, it was just one of those names that came into my head, just like Dol Rigar was one of those names that came into my yeah, head. Yeah, it has a nice ring to it, Dol Rigar. Yeah, it yes. did. And it sounded, it felt good to say. And so then I had to make a backstory for him. How the hell did this very British, middle, you know, upper class Cambridge guy, doctor, get an mm-hmm. exotic name like Dol Rigar? Because yeah, yeah. they just don't have those kind of names. So Is Dol a pretty standard English name? No. No. It's, no, no, no. it's, uh, it's, more sounds like kind of Asian, Indian, yeah. Indian. It, 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 so the the story because I've written loads of shit about yeah. their backstories. I have volumes of things about why their names are in their backgrounds and where they went to school and all this kind of stuff. And the point the the idea was that Dalrigar's father was in the war and was saved by a British uh, by uh, an Indian doctor okay. who he named him after in kind of is in tribute yeah yeah and their last name had originally years before been gare g-a-r-e and somehow along the line as things happen in in time the the e got dropped and it all regards better yeah so they're his by the time his grandfather comes along which and if it's probably forgotten about this but he um, actually has some old champagne flutes from his uh, grandfather was a, a, a minister or something mm-hmm. like this. And they had some engraved um, <gasps> champagne goblets that were from him. And his name was Gar by then. So he had gotten changed many, many years yeah. before. But this was all like just shit that I made up just to give these people some kind of anchor that I could put them in sure. or, or ground them to. And Sydney's parents were, you know, really... Uh, her mother was a secretary at a school. Her dad was a pedodontist and, um, or pedodontist. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> poor, you have to understand that poor we'll Evan, <laughs> I, I put him through the ringer. No, in you didn't. Book. But, um, yeah, I, I just had all these little anchors that, that I cemented, put their feet in these buckets of mm-hmm. cement so that I could keep hold of them and they wouldn't walk off while I was. The, the names are very good. 
Yeah. I enjoy the names of. I don't think there's a single character that I'm like eh, when I when I read their names. Yeah. Elvis Talbert was his his real name is Cregan, and oh. I, I will tell I'll um go through all of that in Silver Birch that I do the entire background of his life. And he was born in the East End. His his father's name was Cregan. There's a real bad story behind that because that's your the baseman's ex wife's oh boy. maiden name was Cregan and they're not very nice. Well now when do you expect to when do you think not that there's a hard deadline, but when yeah. do you anticipate the third book being complete? I would like to say that it will be out next year, probably about this time. Okay. Um I have a lot of stuff going in my head right now yeah. about where it is going, how he's going. I know the bones. Now I've got to put the flesh on it. So the bones are there. I've just got to start molding it. Just promise me it won't be as long as the stand. It won't be as long I'm as kidding. the stand. It won't be as <laughs> long kidding. as... I was quite thrilled because I I was afraid that the chine would be longer than her minder, and it ended up being much shorter. Actually. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't, and, it wasn't bad. Uh, but it didn't finish. I also had it finished in a later place, and Jules, my editor, came up and said, don't end it here. Yeah. You've gone too far. Back up. And she said, end it at this point. But I was like, you know, the length of a book really doesn't no. matter. As long as everything's there for a reason. Yeah. Like, I make fun of the stand, saying. but I loved the, the unabridged is, version of that book. Oh, that is one of my favorites. It's right over there. Yeah. If you um, yeah. She was instrumental in saying, because at the end of, of The Chine, Sydney is also, we've kind of come full circle at the beginning of, of no spoilers. Reminder. No spoilers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying she's not in a very good place. Right. And and so at the beginning of her minder, she's not in a very good place. At the end of the chine, she's also not in a very good place emotionally. That's the perfect, you know, second act. Yes, ending. Yes. And that's exactly what she said because I kind of resolved that mm. in the original ending of the chine. And Jules said, "No, no, no. Start with conflict. Let that fester mm. until it's a big hot mess, and then you can move on." Yeah, you never so, want to yeah. send the audience to intermission, going, "Everything's great now." I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it does kind of end with things not being very good, and it ends. It ends kind of on a cliffhanger. We, you know, some big events are mm-hmm. getting ready to happen and, and have not happened, and there's going to be some really uh, nasty little reveals and surprises about some of the things that we saw right at the end uh, about who's manipulating who. Interesting. Yeah, there, there's some things that the audience don't know yet that uh, I'll, you know. Well, I can't wait. <laughs> and uh, uh, until before we finish up this section of the show, and then you can start pouring the, uh, the congratulations onto yeah. me. I do have one question. I think this is probably going to be the hardest question I've asked you because I'm only going to ask you to name one. Okay. If okay. you could, and I'll even ask Trevor too, if you could point to an author, just one, male or female, doesn't matter the genre. Who you would say, I would not be a writer without this person. Who would it be? Only one. Wow. <laughs> Maybe Trevor can guess. I, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not being a writer. I can tell you what musician. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, a guy called Jonathan Davies. And he was a the guy that sings for corn <laughs> in a band called Griffin. Oh, never heard of him. Oh, sixties, seventies band. Um, they played a sort of medieval instruments with a rock thing. Interesting. And I, my brother, bought it home, and I said, "What's this garbage?" And I, I listened to it, and and it was transforming me. Um, the bass lines, and anyway, um, many years later, I got him as an influence on a uh, 
a, a band, uh, sorry, a, a bass player's website. Someone mm-hmm. said, who's your, I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to say Jonathan Davis and no one will know him. <laughs> and he texted me and said, thank you. Cause I thought, no way. He, yeah. yeah. He, uh, you know, thank you. I didn't think anyone cared. Oh, that's and he awesome. was really, he was really chuffed. And he said, oh, it's always know, great I'm, when you meet your heroes and they turn out to be decent people. <laughs> they actually turn out to be heroes. I, it's funnily enough, but my, the reason I would not be a writer without the group Queen. Oh. Because the first thing that I ever wrote of any real depth and substance was based on um, the characters, uh, based on characters that I fashioned after Freddie Mercury and Brian May. And it was a total fantasy thing. It was the story of, of, it it was kind of loosely based on their second album, which was, had a story about a dark queen and Mm -hmm. a white queen. And it was, it was a story about these two sisters who were, were queens of, if there's anything that Queen could do, it was tell a story. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody could be a novel. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And so I wrote because and and it was the first thing that I wrote of any depth or of any length that had a a concise storyline and had plot and had some things about it that actually I could one day maybe pick up and write again. Yeah. But yeah, I would not be a writer without huh. them. Interesting. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I could keep going because I don't think this section will take very long at all. <laughs> Why? I don't know. No, I would. No, no, no. Believe me, this won't take nearly as long. Hey guys, this is Evan. Hey, Jason Underwood. And if you're enjoying listening to the Lucky 10,000, then come on over to a podcast where nobody's ever getting lucky, ever. Here on the Lucky 10,000, you're here to learn, but with the bearded ones, we're here to make you laugh. And and maybe you'll learn something while you're laughing. Yeah, learn something like about Batman. <laughs> I mean, for we were on a stint of Matlock for a while. I, it was funny to me. I thought, hey, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that's not how you sell it. Come anything. on over, listen to the one podcast, I guess. I yeah. Mean, I, I like it. I'd be a shit salesman. <laughs> um, Come buy this car. I mean, I drove it once. Yeah, probably would, you probably wouldn't like yeah, it. You wanna, <laughs> you yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. You know what? Fuck this. Don't listen to Bearded One. <laughs> Come on, check us out. Bearded One's comedy podcast on the Bearded Pods Network. I knew that. I didn't know that. Well, that's why we're here, listening to the Lucky 10,000. You learn something new with every episode. And while you're here at the Bearded Pods Network, you might want to come and give us some pod love. We're Teddy and the Bassman. We cover all sorts of subjects, speak with tons of interesting guests, and entertain you with a melange of vintage commercials and jingles, and a whole plethora of eclectic music. You might even learn something from us as well. It'll probably be about bondage, but... Teddy and the Baseman! Now that we've talked for a while about how great you are... And I've appreciated it. Turn the tables, let's just say. And I promise this section won't take as long because you've got all this backstory and (laughs) deep, you know, oh, I've been writing this for years. I'm just like, words I say, I say, (laughs) and uh, I do that. What are words? Yeah. (laughs) Well... I just want to thank you, first of all, because you're saying that what you do is not, you know, going to take that. No, long, I literally but, just read things off the screen. But, <laughs> but you do more than that. You bring these characters life, and I want to thank you, first of all, for doing such an amazing job on both of my. Well, novels. yeah, and it all just kind of came about. Uh, we'd been friends for a couple of years. I knew you were a writer. I hadn't read your work. I can't remember 
if you'd already had the idea to make it an audiobook okay. or if someone had mentioned to you you should do it and you were just kind of in that gestation period i, was, I just wanted work it was like i'll, I'll read your book <laughs> well yeah and and i you said listen to a couple of my things yeah i did and i thought well i know you and you were fantastic. I've seen you act in am. several things. Of course I am. And so you, what I kind of want to know is when you look at a, a book, when you get a book and you audition and they say, yes, please, mm -hmm. right? Like me, please read my book. What kind of prep work do you do for it? Not as much as I should. Uh, I'm a little lazy. I'm learning as I go. Um, for an audition on ACX anyway, it's, it's. Usually authors will just give you like a page mm -hmm. of their book to read and give you a quick synopsis and what kind of accent or dialogue they want, generally speaking. And you just read that page. Like, you know, for me anyway, I don't know what the rest of the book is, yeah. which has gotten me into some uncomfortable situations before where yeah. maybe a book really wasn't something that I liked all that much once I got the job or mm -hmm. there was a section of it. I was just like, Oh, I'm not sure I'm okay with this. But then you just. What I should do more of is read the whole book before I start narrating it. But I have a real bad problem of when I am excited about something, I just want to do it. Yeah, just so one of the things that helps me that you do a lot and that a couple of other authors have no issue doing is just giving me like a character list. Yeah. This is this person. He's this type of person. What you do that really helps is you actually give me, since so much of it is based on accents and and a vibe, is you tell me, look at this person on yeah. this BBC show or whatever. And I'm not doing an imitation of them, but it gives me a feeling of, okay, yeah. this is what she's looking for. It's yeah. the same way with doing a play. That's why every time you give me notes, you're just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I wouldn't be like, hey, fuck you, director, for yeah. telling me to do something different. <laughs> what to do. But after, so after you get this, I mean, this, this whole process, I know you work very, very hard on it. So can you just give me like an idea, like with us, you would send me chapter mm -hmm. by chapter. And which was great for me because I like run home. Every well, that's day that's kind of the way uh, that's kind of the way ACX wants it. Yeah. And if you don't know, AC, if, you, if any of you out there have yeah. ever thought about narrating, there's a website called ACX.com feeds directly into Audible. Um, I'm not like a big time professional narrator at all because you've probably never heard my name before if you're listening to this. But um, you can't people can self publish their books. Publishing companies can put books on there. You can audition for them. And the way ACX formats it anyway is you do record chapter by chapter and right. upload chapter by chapter. And for me, that's just easier than doing like a bunch of chapters, because if I'm not on the right track in one, you got to have to back. I'm going to have yeah. to back up and do them all over again. So yeah. just chapter by chapter is easier. The process is basically I read the chapter. I record the chapter. I edit out anything I get wrong or any like lip noises or too much breath here or there. Uh lines that have gotten wrong clean up the sound and then send it to the author the author sends it back to me with any corrections they've noticed and then i fix those and send it back the only part of the process that's really a drag is editing yes i know a lot of professional narrators big time narrators they probably don't have to worry about that well i don't know because i've actually listened to audible books before and and caught mistakes yeah you know and so it, it happens but i mean they probably don't have to edit them themselves no. like the big names yeah. they just go into a studio i'm not saying it's easy no. but they go into a studio they record I, and then they don't have to worry about I it i think the reading of a book and understanding is just as important as the writing of yes. the book yeah. and you've had many fangirlies love 
the sound of your I've reading. had one tell me they did. If you're listening to this and you're one of those fangirlies, please get in touch yes. with me. Get in contact. Please do. He's absolutely <laughs> delicious. You need to get in touch with him right now. I am quite but delicious. You are. You really are. You know you are. But that, and that's coming, kind of coming to my next point. And we've talked about this before. Um, with her minder, with the chine, there is a lot of erotica in it. Mm -hmm. This is about erotic relationships. And I have really toned down. If you read my fan fiction, it's quite a bit more explicit. Mm -hmm. I mean, my, I think I call it kind of erotica light where mm -hmm. you talk about it, but you don't get really graphic. But do, and I do things in different points of view. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'll be doing an erotica um, piece that's from Sydney's point mm -hmm. of view. And sometimes you'll be doing it from the male point of view. Mm -hmm. Do you do you approach it differently when you read them? As far as like her her narrative is a bit softer, right? Her a bit cruder. In a yeah, cruder um, uh, yeah, it's funny. I never really thought that deep about it, but I guess you kind of have to, especially since their relationship, Dalra's and Sydney's relationship, is so defined mm -hmm. by the Dom sub thing. And it, you know, I do have to, I guess, kind of put myself in the mindset of a woman mm -hmm. um, because ninety percent of the time she's the one that's receiving the the. She's the one that's receiving almost everything. Yeah. Um, and so there's definitely a different tone and a different experience. Because I think the thing about Dalra is he's all, almost always in control once they get into the bedroom. Yeah. So I always just try and broadcast that. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm confident in what I'm doing. Just go along for the ride. And Sydney, even though, like you said, in any of these relationships, she's the one that really has the control, quote unquote, She's still the one experiencing everything. Yeah. So there's definitely a difference there. Like you're the, you're the, you're either the person in control or you're not. Yeah. And there definitely is a different experience with each of those. I don't so much put my, like, I, I don't know. I don't so much put my whole being into it. I just kind of go, okay, I at least know what sex feels like. I can like start, <laughs> start there and go from there. Um, I like reading Sydney because I like her accent. I like you, doing her, so her, her accent. Her accent yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, and I'm glad I did the first few books I did because a couple of them, I've got like a bunch of different, I've got like 21 audible well, books now and they're say, all you, different genres. I was going to say, what, kind of give us a rundown of all the different genres that you've done because you've not, I can tell you what my favorites are, especially the ones that I wish would sell a little better, not just because I want the money, but because I think they deserve it. Um, the first couple of books I did, were these short stories called The Adventures of Benjamin Cross and their comedic mm -hmm. fantasy. Mm -hmm. They're novellas, so they're not that long. Unfortunately, I have been in contact with the author, and she just hasn't had time to finish the series. So if you buy these two books and listen to them, please do, because I had a ton of fun reading them. But just know you're not going to get the satisfaction of a finished oh, story. Okay. <laughs> not well, yet, well, anyway. Maybe, you know, maybe one day. I'm um, sure she will. There was this guy, he did a novel called A Digital Christmas Carol. Oh, I saw, yeah. And I really enjoyed reading that one. And it basically told the story of A Christmas Carol through the eyes of the Scrooge, quote unquote, type character is this guy that runs a video game empire. And so he sort of gets sucked into the game. And that's where they play out all the beats of A Christmas Carol with oh, all okay. these video game characters. <laughs> and it was really cool. Um, I got to do an Ann Stewart novel. 
and she's probably the most famous person mm-hmm. that I've done a novel for. They seem to like it. I spoke with her once or twice. She seemed to approve of it. They have not approached me about any more of her books, so who knows what they really thought. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it was an experiment because I think there, I know Neil Gaiman has books on ACX. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of the bigger authors now are starting to go, we don't have to, we can skip the middleman. Yeah. So there are some true. names on there. Wow. But, um, oh God, what are the others that, oh, I did this one last year called Blood on the Ice, which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's, a hockey story, but it's a comedy because I love horror, mm-hmm. but horror comedy, it's either straight up horror or horror comedy are like my two favorite things. Okay. And this is a horror comedy about a Canadian amateur minor league hockey team that starts getting taken over by vampires <laughs> just so they can be better hockey players. <laughs> like that's the whole thing is they, they start getting really good at hockey and the lead's like, what the fuck is going on? And it turns out they're vampires. They're all vampires. Oh. And uh, there was this other one called The Bride Wore Brains. It was just a short <laughs> novel about a wedding that gets you know, uh, uh, torn apart by zombies. There's another sort of erotica series that I did do that so far only two of the books are out. Um, Terror of the Frozen North. And I can't remember the name of the first one, but it's like gay erotica. The two right. lead characters are an older man and a younger guy oh, wow. of age. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, who it's like Indiana Jones if he had a ward and they fucked every once in a while. <laughs> wow, cool. So those are those are the ones that I've really enjoyed doing. Ask me, you approached me about uh, about Dora and and Elvis mm. having sex. Because yeah, because you said are they ever. I just see it. And I would never want to. I felt like I shouldn't have said anything because I felt like going to a playwright and going, you know what I think you no, should do. No, I, it's your work. It's it your is, creative process. It is, it is my work, but. I just kind of felt JK, like when I read it, that would be the most logical. Yeah. But you have to understand that J.K. Rowling changed the nature of her books, the the last three or four books, because by then Rick, Rickman was doing Snape, mm-hmm. and she changed the way Snape behaved. Oh, really? Based on, I thought she had that planned out from the beginning. No, I mean she when she started seeing how he did it, if and she admitted herself that that. She made subtle changes in mm-hmm. how Snape spoke and how he moved and how he reacted because she had been so inspired mm-hmm. by what she saw Alan Rickman doing. And it is not a thing to say, you know, wow, that would be interesting. I mean, I I would love that kind of feedback. That's the kind of, you know, the reason that I loved working with you so much on this is because you felt comfortable enough yeah. to give me feedback. Well, I think, well, yeah, but that's not something I'm going to do regularly because it's, it's no, your book. <laughs> I understand that. No, but, you know, I needed the feedback myself. There were things that once you read them, mm-hmm. I thought, I could have done better than that. I could have done that better because it wasn't like I re- I could hear mm-hmm. I hear it in your, your voice. I was thinking... Well, I could have said that better. Or I well, and I will say the second book was easier to do than the first. I think we had this conversation yeah. before we even recorded is that the second act is always a little bit easier because everything's established and now you can just let the story take hold. Yeah. And I will and say probably that, you know yes, the and I'd say the biggest difference, if I was to point at anything, is probably Ellis because I went back and listened to some of her minder and he had more of a... Yeah, more of a, a coarser accent. Yes, yeah. and, and almost borderline cockney and yeah. i feel like he's more refined in the chine and i kind of liked that yeah i loved it. i was telling you i think it was it was interesting because i didn't this didn't occur to me until the second book but he and dollar are kind of opposite sides of the same coin it's mm-hmm. like joker and batman if you get the joker to yeah. be like a lot less evil and sadistic <laughs> but they're so i liked the idea of just sort of taking dollar's voice and lowering it yeah to do elvis now and i could also see that character refining his 
his accent a little now that he's surrounded by people like Dara and people like Inigo who are very upper crust. But then I really enjoyed reading Garnet because he he was he's the most identifiable guy in the books, I think, because he's just that regular dude who's just like, yeah, I'm going to do my job and blah, 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 blah. But he's a dude's dude. But you know, and and the, the other thing and this was what delighted me is that you took what I essentially had was a really nasty character. And you turned him into almost an anti-hero. It's a cliche. Oh, you mean Elvis? No, Silas. Oh, Silas. It's a cliche, but we're all actors here. Yeah. Bad guys are just more fun to play. Yeah. <laughs> and you played him so well. I, Especially I actually, when he was drunk. Yeah, I actually said to someone, I wish I hadn't have killed him off so early. Yeah. Because you, well, spoilers. Read him, you read him so well. <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, but but uh, It's you know, fun. And there was a character in that, that gay sort of adventure romance I did that reminded me a lot of him, too. And I liked... Especially when he was drunk, because the big thing about being drunk is people tend to, they don't necessarily act drunk. They're not Otis on Andy mm-hmm. Griffith. But if there's one thing they do, it's draw out their words a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. And I like villains, just when I watch movies and TV, God, I sound like such a pretentious asshole, um, that really relish yeah. their moments. And so I like people that I can kind of draw it out a bit. Well, you know? Perfect. It was so delightful. And I was thinking, oh, this is so good. The, the other thing is that when you're listening to someone do that, yeah. you, you suddenly get a, a different appreciation for, for what you're, what you're hearing, what you're listening all to. All I think, ever oh. want to do, it's the same way I approach plays. All I ever want to do is give the director what they want. Yeah. Because I think that's the job of an actor in any capacity. Even if you disagree with a director, your job is to try and do the best version of that, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you can, according to the way they see it. Yeah. And that's why it's 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 not bad to get notes on a book. My my only complaint about getting notes is the stuff that I get wrong that's so obvious. I'm like, I should have read it closer or maybe read that paragraph again, well, you know? And, and there's also, there was a couple of moments where you actually said some words out of order from what I had written. Mm-hmm. And when I looked back, I realized that I had written them, that the way you had said them was actually a better order of saying it. And well, it's because I'm very that way, intelligent. That's true. <laughs> but it's also because you read it in what we call as a, the natural flow of speech. Right. And sometimes when you're writing, you you forget about that. And sometimes as you read it yourself, you read it the way that you said it right. and, and not the way I wrote it. Right. So that teaches me that I need to be more careful about how I actually do Dude, it. writing dialogue is hard. It is It is hard. I have a question. Yeah. Having gone into the High Herminders series, two books in, mm-hmm. and having seen, read the relationship that the main characters share. Mm-hmm. Have you learned something uh, about the kink community and have you learned something about yourself? I have actually. Right. Um, not as much about the kink community as about myself. Cause I, I, I did some research about kink and again, I've, I've dabbled in it. Um, I know people that are in that exact type of relationship. The interesting thing to me and please do not take this as a negative or an insult at all, Teddy. <laughs> the biggest difference between the way Dara and Sydney relate to each other, 
that I've learned about myself is I don't think I could ever be that attached to someone. Mm-hmm. I just think like I'm not like a real romantic at heart. Mm-hmm. And I've also been single for so long yeah. that I'm so used to my space <laughs> that I get exactly where these characters are coming from and why they have that bond. But there are moments where I was just like, I get why they're saying it. I would never say that to someone because it's just like, it's almost icky to be like, I want to be that like with someone all the time. I'm just not that guy. And there's nothing wrong with it. Also, I think for the, for the tools of this type of story, they have to have that bond or the whole thing is going to fall apart. Right. But I know there's, there's a, there's a part at the beginning of the chine when Sydney has to leave Dora Mm -hmm. for like a weekend and she's freaking out about it. And I'm like, I get it. I told because they've been through so much together and their relationship is built on this. Like they are basically ha- becoming one person. But I just can't imagine being so into someone that I couldn't just step away from them for a mm-hmm. couple of days. You know what I mean? That's what I learned about myself yeah. is that I would need more space than either of those people want yeah. from each other. <laughs> That's what I learned. I, I think and, and it's funny because when I go back and I read stuff like that, I think. I probably have made them a little bit too clingy, and but again, because I think they you kind of have a to a different because they like, came well, they've also both been through such trauma. Yeah, I yeah. think that's sort of the natural result of that, and I think anybody that enters into a true dom sub relationship wants a partner like that. I'm just not that person yeah. right now. You, I might was be. There, was there any other character that you did a, that you did identify a little bit better with Garnett? I definitely identified with yeah. a little bit better. Um, in 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 the interest of sort of pushing themselves like i liked the sexiness of dalra and elwis a lot that's something i would like to picture myself being (laughs) i am not in any way shape or form um i identified a lot with sydney in a lot of ways um just in that sort of like brokenness or or that precipice of brokenness that she was on, especially in the first book. Mm-hmm. I get that. It's just that she's so much more – she's gone through so much more than I ever have and hopefully ever will yeah. in my life that I didn't identify with it. Yeah. But there was a part of it that definitely oh, that's, that's good to hear. rang true. Oh, um, and I think that's why their relationship does work in the book. That's why I'm not – I don't want you to take that as a I criticism. I don't take it that way I just all. know that I'm I – I get nervous when my girlfriend, if, if I don't have a girlfriend right now, but I, I get nervous when my girlfriend goes to bed and gives me that look where she's like, you, sh- you should come too." Uh, <laughs> if I'm playing a video game or something. So I could never talk to somebody like, like Dara and Sydney talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But I get why they do, especially in the second book towards the end when Dara goes through what he went through, yeah. which yeah. was really rough. And I hate to admit it, but there's a certain part of me that identifies with Silas a little yeah. because I get the jealousy. Yeah. I get the insecurity. Yeah. I get the I'm not good enough. So I want to inflict something negative on you because I think all artists are inside insecure, you know, I, I, wrecks of human beings. But, but you know, you say that, but I know there is one point at near the end and uh, you tacitly were asked to do something quite outside your wheelhouse, which, which was to sing. Mm-hmm. And Although, to be fair. I did have to sing in the last show I was in. I'm more comfortable with it now. That's true. And but what I was going to say is that I heard a lot of emotion in your voice. I don't was was that caught up with it? Or was I was that, actually. Was that not or was that? No, I was actually getting caught up in it. And the funny thing is, I did it twice because the first time I had a little bit too much of an accent, so he asked yeah, me to redo yeah, it, to, and I got the same level of emotional both times. Yeah. And that's only ever happened 
in one other thing that I did where I actually had to stop recording because I couldn't get the lines out without starting to cry. Oh, wow. There was a, there's this book I did early called Candle in the Dark, a holiday anthology, and it's like an independently published book. It's, it's probably never going to be a big seller, but, um, it's a bunch of sort of Twilight Zone meets gay erotica. And every story, it's a bunch of short stories, are these science fiction type stories where eventually these two characters come together. Either they realize they're gay or, or they've been in a relationship. And one of the last stories was basically this guy who, when he's young, he, re- he gets this guardian angel who basically continues to revisit him throughout his life and they become lovers but the guardian angel never ages because he's an angel mm-hmm. and the the lead guy you know he only comes into his life every few years so this guy has a life you know he 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 gets a lover and they get married and all this other stuff but then you in this short story you see the guy go through his whole life and die with his lover holding his hand and the angel comes in to visit him and then they get together in the afterlife and the scene where his mortal lover was trying to tell him goodbye wow. i it, it broke me oh wow! i could not get through it if you listen i haven't listened to it because i hate listening to anything i do except for my podcasts which you should be listening to bearded one's podcast <laughs> and lucky 10,000 um going back i to- wonder if you could hear me breaking if you go back and listen to it now because it was really hard but i was listening i was having i had tears in my eyes listening to you also that moment was, in the uh, book i mean if, if that's the case it's probably more from what you wrote than what I well, would I, I drew upon as an actor. I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you're you're being really flippant about it, but it was quite what I kind of hoped you would do, and you actually did. And I didn't actually tell you this, and I don't know why I thought you would do this because I didn't tell you. But what I what I wanted you to do is exactly what you did: is you sang it as yourself, as right, you, as right, the right. You sang it as the narrator. And that made it really. You know, it's weird. It's hard oh, to do. One of the things I do like about reading Sydney is her accent because yeah. it's it's clearly defined. Yeah. It's hard to read women as a man sometimes because you don't want to go all ew, I'm a girl. <laughs> but you do want to have yeah. But you do want to have like in that Anne Stewart book I did. The lead is a female with a neutral accent, and mm-hmm. you never want to sound like you're making fun of a female voice, but you want there to be a difference. Yeah. And that's why Sydney's kind of easy because she has that slight Southern, yeah. you know, and, just and a, you, just a, you do kind of soften. You, I do. There's always a softening. But I wouldn't want to be like, especially in this big dramatic, like, <laughs> and then Doris all across the room said, my darling, I love you. She was like, oh, hello. <laughs> I'm Sydney Chapin. Look at me. <laughs> the reason I asked you whether you learn about yourself is uh, certainly the chine. Yeah. I wish I was a member of some of the clubs they go to. Oh, I to. do too. <laughs> that club they go to, spoilers, when Dara proposes. Yes. The library. I would love to go to that place. Oh, amazing place. <laughs> I mean, the, the description mm-hmm. made me oh. want to go. Well, there. that's the other thing is it's, it's funny when you audition for, for books because I've, I've auditioned for books that, well, thought of auditioning and I'm not a writer. So I don't, I hate to criticize writing because I, I could never do it. I could never write a book, but my God, there's some bad stuff out there. And one <laughs> of the weirdest things I've noticed is lack of description. Like uh. I can't tell you how many times I've auditioned 
with a page of a book and like where are these people <laughs> what, what who who's over the here where, where are they going and 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 you describe things so well oh, thank you thank i've you. never been at a loss for what was going on or who was oh, where or what was happening and i think that's really important that that's one of my favorite things to do yeah and, and i and you I can, can overdo it you I can totally go, fucker it <laughs> it's I just like totally and then over. he saw a grain of sand yeah, yeah. floating I, through the air i can absolutely <laughs> over describe i mean of that's one of the things that that Jules always pulls me up on and she'll say, okay, you've described this thing three different ways. Yeah. Pick your two favorites and get rid of the other We one. did a play recently for this touring show we take to elementary schools. And I'm not going to say what play it was because I don't want to insult anybody that wrote it or whatever. But the playwrights must have thought the children were complete morons oh. because they, they would say things two or three times yeah. in a row. We're going here now. Here we are at the place we just said we'd be. Uh, Look at this place where we just said two times we yeah, were going we're to, and now yeah. here we're there. Like, no, I think they follow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm bad about it. Less and, is more. But but I do, I love, as I said, playing with the words and, and kind of, you know, forming them and shaping them. I enjoy them. a lot of the, well, the, the fun thing the way, the, about the way these characters talk is because it's the way I don't. Yeah. It's fun to assume those roles and pretend to be sophisticated. I'm the farthest thing from sophisticated there is. I don't even own a suit. I have one tie, and it's a Riddler tie that I wore for a Halloween costume. I don't even have a tie. But it's fun. Well, I to... knew that you could bring these characters to life so well, well and you did. Uh, that's And it, you, I can tell you're having fun with it. it, it I do enjoy it. Like I, I, I really love the dialogue portions the descriptive portions are good because it really establishes things but that's not as fun because as a narrator anyway and i don't know if, if anyone out there is a real narrator you could give me some you constructive criticism and i'll take it um the exci but, exciting thing is yeah if people come to london the many of the places are real yeah and they're here in I, their head when they well, I, I desperately want to go to england at some point england and ireland for sure um and i i want to see some of the places, well, A, I want to go on the repertoire, but B, I also want to see just about every place I've ever heard about. I want to see the Tower of London. I want to see the places in your books. I want to see these things that I've always imagined what they would look like. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's. Well, I, I gave you, a, I gave you a kind of a hard remit because I, I said, do all these, do all these different accents, you know, bring all these. Oh, and, and trust me, and not all of them come across as well as some of the no. others do. Well, and, and <laughs> we talked about this. That was going to be my next question. You know, do you enjoy trying the different accents? Or oh, do you, sure. Do you look at it and go, oh, fuck, not another accent? <laughs> it depends. Uh, if it's one that I have a problem with, I mean, I really do try hard to get it as good as yeah. I possibly can. And, I probably I have friends that are vocal coaches that I probably could enlist their help. But I especially since I try to record during the day when my daughter's at school yeah. and most of those people are at work. It's just kind of like I want to get this as close to right as possible. But I know when it's not yeah. like every time you give me a note about an accent that's just not there. Like, I don't know. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is also it's it is putting a lot of pressure on the reader to say okay look this guy's got a welsh accent this person's got a welsh is hard accent. welsh is that's different. what i learned welsh is hard for he, it's English hard for people. him oh. and he he struggles with welsh. and i'm gonna tell you right now if you're listening to this and you're a welsh person and you hear that passage in the book 
you know it's not authentic well no, no. <laughs> but when you knew when you neutralized it back down, yeah, yeah yeah it worked perfectly it worked better it yeah great yeah um and it's just it's hard because there are certain things demands that are at, made upon you to to get these different things down and well it's also all about you know michael kane is cockney he's technically a cockney yeah but and this is something you deal with in theater a lot too is sometimes you have to sacrifice authenticity mm-hmm. for understandability. Yes. Because you can't do a real thick cockney and expect especially American people to know what the fuck you're saying. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't do it. And and again, also a lot of my characters right now are very nebulous. Yeah. You don't know who they are. Right. Like some of the some of these And that's tricky are- because you wanna do the accent true to the character but you also don't want to give anything yeah, away because you were actually going to say who is this really yeah who is this person really and i was like okay don't tell anybody but this is right who that right is. and so you then you're having to and and you did a great job in that you never gave anything away mm-hmm. and yet i just said mm-hmm, like yes 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 indeed i was very good to that you, you were because <laughs> the thing what i hoped for as a as a writer was that people would read this and go well, it could be them. Yeah. Or, oh, but wait a minute. I saw a clue a minute ago that it could be them. Right. And so your job just got tougher because mm-hmm. you're having to really keep things. And there are clear. some genuinely tragic characters in the book. If you haven't read the book and you're just getting the audiobook, I won't give anything away. But there is one character who sort of makes a reappearance towards the end. And it's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and what that person does or what they think they have to do is really heartbreaking. And so that's what I like about it because it has the intrigue of a spy series. And then you get to listen to a bunch the of people. The like, thing is, book three dirty. is going to be a surprise for you. Uh, yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, there's definitely happens. some big stuff hap- that happened in this book that I wasn't prepared for because I didn't read the chapters ahead, <laughs> which I should be doing, yeah, but I didn't. Yeah, you told me, you said, oh, wow, that, that really got me. I, I didn't, didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's definitely stuff I did not see Yay, coming. And hopefully, yes. hopefully, it will be the same for you, yes. the listener. Yes. Um, I don't know what else I could say about it. I just like to pretend that I'm big shit and got interviewed. By the way, if you're listening to this, this was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Teddy, interview me like I'm some big shit. <laughs> but, but you are... In in many ways, I mean, you you say, oh, I'm not professional. You are a professional. You you do make a, a living doing this. Not a you know. No, not yet. Anyway, <laughs> but but you you are you are gaining uh, more and more books. You are doing more and more books. I'm very lucky in that. I mean, believe me, there are plenty of books I've auditioned for that I haven't gotten for whatever reason. But I've been very lucky in that the work has been consistent. Yeah, like not just with your stuff because we're friends, but I mean, people that don't know me from yeah. Adam. Well, I, I and I guess I needed to ask this at the beginning. You can audit the, you can you can edit this and put this at the very beginning, I guess. But what what gave you the idea to do this? How did you get into ACX? Uh, well, I had quit my job. I had an office day job that was so awful. I was starting to have bad anxiety attacks. Mm-hmm. Like one day, the left side of my face just went numb. Oh my god! It was it was just a soul sucking office job, mm-hmm. which are just the worst. Yes. Like, you did Homicide on Scotland Yard and saw some awful shit. I think I'd rather do that than sit behind a desk and see the same shit every day. But it was also kind of a stressful job because it was one of those things where we had a large company take over and do the things that large companies do. Layoffs, Mm -hmm. bonuses and raises decreased, outsourcing, and they would put all this work 
they would lay somebody off and then put the work that person was doing on another person who was already doing the work of two or three other people, not give them any support, not get a raise, not get a bonus, and then expect them to just do it. Be wonderful, yeah. And I remember at one point I was going through a real bad time. I was having some real doubts uh, about whether I could keep doing this or not because it was a decent job. The pay was decent. Benefits were decent. And our manager told us that we were about to get a project. And I was about to start rehearsing for a show, too. And our manager told us we were about to get a project that was going to require us to work nights and weekends. And we couldn't there was we couldn't say no. So I'm like, now I'm a single father who's not going to see my daughter because of this job. And I might have to say no to a paying theatrical gig. Yeah. I can't do this. <laughs> so I had some money saved up in my 401k to live on for a little while. I thought I was going to get a job somewhere else and that fell through. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just like, oh, God, what do I do? And Carrie Seymour, who's a local actress, wonderful local actress, yes. she posted a book on Facebook. And I already had recording equipment because of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I messaged her and I was like, how did you narrate a book? And she told me about it, and that day, I logged on, set up my profile, and I think within a day, I'd gotten those Benjamin Cross books. Oh, how exciting. Which were very short, but very fun. I I recommend them, again, not necessarily because of my performance, just because they're a lot of fun, but also they're not finished, and probably never will be. Hopefully. But uh, yeah, that's all it, that's literally all it took. Because I've always wanted to do voiceover. I love the idea of being, you know, uh, uh, I saw an interview with Brian Cranston where he was talking about doing a voice in one of the Madagascar movies. Mm-hmm. You know, Brian Cranston's an amazing actor, mm-hmm. but he was like, oh, it's the best. Just go in there in your robe and coffee and just like, <laughs> you don't even have to be just like, yeah, I'll read that. I'm like, yeah, that would be great. Because yeah. the older I get, the more of a homebody I am. Mm-hmm. And being able to, because I know uh, uh, Lisa Biggs, I don't know if you guys know Lisa, but she does a lot of voice work because she's got this inordinately high voice it is like one of the my little pony voices and it's her natural speaking voice right. she gets tons of voiceover work she does voices for those for real pets you know yes that you see in stores all oh, the time yeah. uh-huh. and from what i understand because i only met her a couple of times but she's a really sweet person she works from home in atlanta and gets the scripts records the stuff and sends them off that's I'm like, nice. that's what I want to do. Well, I, I know that I fell in love with um, reading. One of the, the few things that I can honestly say was that was decent about my previous marriage was that he liked re- us reading mm-hmm. back and forth one another. In fact, the first thing I ever read was The Stand. It's mm-hmm. funny that you mentioned that. And read it almost cover to cover. And I realized- Which is I, saying a lot. <laughs> well, yeah. The underbridge version. The, the whole thing. And I realized I love reading aloud. Mm-hmm. And- thought oh gosh yeah i'd love and do i love listening to audiobooks mm-hmm. and, and thought wow and i remember you putting these out and saying you know i'm having a ball doing this it's it's a lot of fun yeah. um i do get stressed sometimes because i'm great at the beginning of a process and the end of a process i'm great at starting hard and working hard right at the top because i'm excited and it's new and then i'm really good at going oh fuck this needs to be done <laughs> like tomorrow i got to do all this work in a day it's the middle section where I just kind of get a little lazy and just yeah. go, oh, I have plenty of time to do that chapter tomorrow. But no, you were, you were not being lazy on Well, this I one. really like, you, made myself disciplined on this. You were very disciplined because uh, – Especially since there weren't that many chapters. Yeah. Like I looked at the chapter number and I was like, okay, I think I can swing a chapter a day on this. Yeah. And for the most part, we did. You did. The funny thing was – and I was thinking when I was writing it, 
I was thinking, wow, these chapters are really consistent. You know, they're, they're all about the same length. They're all about the same size. I look, there's one chapter's like 19 minutes long. The next chapter is an, an hour and a half yeah. minutes long. I mean, there was just no consistency. Yeah, whatsoever. and you know, I, I'm so segmented. I could probably make it a lot easier on myself and not feel the pressure to do a chapter a day to where if I come to a long chapter like that, I'll do maybe half of it. And then do half of it the next yeah. day. But it's weird. It's almost like I don't want to say autism, but it's this thing where I see it in the chunks that I'm doing it in. So if I start a chapter, I have to finish it that day. Yeah. I can't do anything else <laughs> until I finish that chapter that day. So if I start it, I'm going to finish yeah. it. Well, a lot of, and a lot of mine were jumping from POV to POV right. And, right. and having these breaks. So and it was funny because when they you submit this book mm-hmm. it will say it's going to take approximately 13 hours right. and 42 seconds to to read this mm-hmm. based on the amount of words and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. or to listen to it, or to yeah, listen it's to that, it. that's It'll the length yeah and you came in at just over 10 minutes 10 minutes 10 hours on that yes so that i don't remember what her reminder was but i don't think it was much different oh really 10 or 11 maybe I was thinking it was a lot longer uh but maybe it was 13 know. it might have been 13 yeah but it was amazing to me because it doesn't sound rushed. It, there's un, in, under no point. I'm also getting better about the editing process because yeah. ask any director I've ever worked with in theater around here. I talk fast. Yeah. And that's something that they've always been on top of me about. Yeah. And one of the important things I'm still learning is the importance of spacing mm-hmm. because a lot of the things you have to take out, the, the grueling process of the editing is the lip smacks. And the little breaths that shouldn't be there. Like, I don't think it's terrible to hear breaths on books, but it's got to be in the right areas. And it's got to be something that the character's doing, not the narrator. And so taking out those breaths is sometimes excruciating because it's just, you know, (laughs) you're going through a sentence and going, I take out a breath here, take out a breath here, take out a breath here. But what that's also taught me, and I think I did this better in this book than probably any other book I've done. And you may have, as you're listening to it, you may have passages where you think I'm talking a little too fast, but I figured out a good timing for spacing sentences apart mm-hmm. to where it wouldn't feel rushed. Yeah. I think there are moments as I listen, as I think about it, I listen back to it where I did do that a little, but I think the longer I did this book, the more I realized like, okay, this can't be rushed. And it's not necessarily talking fast. It's just not leaving enough air in between phrases. Yeah. Especially if you're two different people talking. Yeah, well, I, I know there was a couple of points where I said, take another beat before yes. you, you start this. And that's so important because I think you just got to allow people's brains to catch up yeah. to what, especially since they have nothing visual to go on. Yeah. That that's, that's something I, I think I'm, every book I produce, I think I'm getting better at producing. And that's why I probably will not ever go back and listen to the first one or two books I did because they're probably. That's why we don't listen to the first podcast <laughs> that we ever did because it was like, ah, so, so gruesome. We were talking about the book, but we haven't told people exactly how to find your audio book and oh, your written book. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, the, honestly, for me, the easiest thing you can do is Google uh, Evan Harris Audible or Evan Harris uh, Audiobook Narrator, and you'll get a list of all the books I've done, good and bad, because mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're all there. It's also on my uh, on the Basketball Books mm-hmm. website. There's a link there. And her mind is on my list, yeah, obviously. B-O-S-C-O-B-E-L, Boscobel. What does that mean, by the way? Boscobel is two two reasons that it's Boscobel. One of them is uh, it is a a town in England, 
Okay. Uh, it's also a very famous place here in nearby us in Anderson that uh, my mother grew up going to and no going way. to dances. I thought it meant some steampunky thing no, or something no. like that. And uh, <laughs> I like I just like the sound of it. It I does like, sound nice. It rings I like nice. The, I like the sound of the third the reason Mason. is yeah. we had a cat called Boscobel. Yeah, Aww. A, our cat's was Bosca. named Boscobel. Bosca. So if I ever start my own narrating company, I'll call it Champ Narration. There yes. you go. But um yeah, yeah and, so, and, and the seahorse, which is the the if if you're yeah. saying it, the logo, is just because I love seahorses. They're pretty cool. Yeah, they're pretty. I've cool. Always been. I always thought my spirit animal was a seahorse. Yeah, especially <laughs> since the men carry the eggs. Yeah, they do all the work. <laughs> they do all the heavy lifting. Like, uh, that that'd uh, be a great life. Yeah, and uh, also <laughs> we've got the bearded ones. Is also uh, you can link to that from. Boscobel books. Absolutely. Well. Thank so. you for doing that, by the way. Yeah. So that's the podcast, uh, Bearded Ones. Lucky 10,000 is another, is hopefully you're listening to this on that. Um, you guys, Teddy and the Bass Man, still going strong. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're, I, we're a little bit behind because we're getting ready to go on this big trip to yeah, England man, I'm and so Ireland. Jealous. Yes. And so I'm way behind, but we are going to catch up. Now, before day. we wrap up, I would like to do something for all the fangirls out there. I'm not going to spank you, Evan. Okay. I'm going to do something else for all the fangirls out there. If you're listening to this, I should say something as like Dara or, or yeah, Elvis or Sydney or all me, of them. Let me find something for you. <laughs> let me say something completely ridiculous first to see if I could still pull off the sexy. Okay. So, oh, Sydney, I believe I just farted. Oh, <laughs> oh Dara, that's so sexy. <laughs> yes, Dara, fart on me. <laughs> No, you might want to cut that, I or so, I might want to cut that. I feel so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> but did you ever see those? We made fun of them on the podcast once. Was it James Joyce who they intercepted those let? They found letters that he had sent to his girlfriend, and all he wanted to talk about was her farting on him. Uh, how he loved the smell of her farts. Oh my god! It's the funniest fucking thing. It's amazing. Oh my god! I know that that Mozart used to write this, these hilarious letters to his sister. Oh well, I mean, like, lewd people are usually yeah. the most creative. Yeah. But yeah, so what? what should, oh, can I say any of the fangirls' names? Hello, this is Dolragar, and I would like to talk to you, Impossible Girl. I appreciate the fandom, and I think of you every night before I go to sleep. Just know that if you ever need a dominant. Your Dora is here. Oh, that was worth the whole night, right? Thank there. you. The, the whole night just paid for itself. Well, thank you guys for finding said. the time to do this. Um, this I just, lovely. I just, I hope that by the time you hear this, the chine will either be out or just a couple of days from being yeah. out. But if you have not heard or read Herminder, do one of those two things or both. Yeah. We'll have links to Herminder in the episode description. If the chine is out audio wise, we will have a link there, but we'll definitely at least have a link yeah. to Boscobel. And anything else you want yeah. to send me that you would like a link to? Right. Well, I've got uh, also I can give you the uh, just the Amazon links. Yeah, that'd for, be great for the books and everything. But I do want to thank you. I want to thank you for just doing such a great job for making the the whole process so much fun. And so, um, oh, I've had a blast. Uh, and such a, it was so affirming, you know. Because even when I, I get didn't... frustrated and impatient, which does happen from time to time. Why? And not because of you. Why? Just because sometimes I try and work too much in a short amount of time. It's not you your fault. A, but you did a Don't beautiful job. Don't freaking start blaming I'm not, yourself. I'm not freaking out. I'm just so proud of the work that you did. And also, and you know, getting tongue-tied is one of the most frustrating things on the planet. You don't, and have, nothing, you, you don't have any bloopers for Nothing as funny as the, place the, the, the stethoscope. 
Oh, come on. You can place do it. The stethoscope. Can't do it. <laughs> um, nothing as funny as that, so I didn't send you anything. Oh, darn. But there were passages where you can literally hear me. Line. <laughs> Line. Oh, God damn it. Line. <laughs> it's frustrating, man. It was. It's so frustrating. But, but you did. I, I I'm absolutely, absolutely love it. I mean, I told I told the bass man every night I would go, oh, Evan has just knocked this out again. You know, every and and the I have to say and I will say this to your face because I've said it before. When you were reading the 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 erotica, mm-hmm. it was like you were tasting the words in your mouth. It sounds that beautiful, and it was so it was so nice because it's like my friend Teresa said. She said, "I blushed when I heard the first one. I'm probably going to have to listen to it while I'm hiding in a box." Well, hello, <laughs> Teresa. This is Goldbergar. Please leave a message at the beep. But you know, it was it was really you know, and I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything or make you feel uncomfortable. No, no, believe me, I, I, I am insecure as the was... next person, but I will take any praise people want to thrust well, but, my but way. No, that, that Emphasis on like... thrust. <laughs> well, that was that was it because I was, you know, when you're listening to someone else reading your erotica, it's scary. I'm sure, and, and it is because you think, okay, this person knows me. He probably is never going to want to look me in the face again. <laughs> no. And he's thinking, but because I remember saying to you, if you want to know who I am, read my erotica. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you want to know what you know sparks me. Well, you even told but, me that Sydney is kind of who you want to be. Yeah, I mean, Sydney is you yeah. know just a younger, better looking, smarter, <laughs> more it. talented, Shut nicer it. person than me, but. <laughs> To hear it being done that sensually. Well, thank like, you. I appreciate that. I, I really do appreciate yeah, it. You've been, you've been so flat and I never, I probably haven't said thank you enough for all the nice things you've said, but I mean, you also wrote really good books. So well, it was just, it was a great collaboration and I'm so pleased that, that we were able to do this. And as I say, do it with, with such a good dialogue every day. About I think it. as That's long as you're, I think as long as you're open and, and you were a lot less insecure about notes this time, which I yeah. think is a good thing. Well, you told me not to be. So well, because last time you're just like, oh, I'm so I sorry. I, I never got a note from any director. Was like, I'm so sorry, but can we do that scene again? You know, I'm so just, sorry, but it sucked. I'm so sorry, but you're terrible. Awful. No. Have I ever told you the story that my friend told me? I'll, I'll say this, and then we can close out the podcast. Worst thing I've ever heard a director say to an actor. He said he was in a play, and the director had all the actors lined up in the front row for notes, and he's going down the line, and he's giving note. Then he'll go to the next actor, give them a note, then go to the next actor. And he said he stops at this one guy and he points his finger at him. He just goes, fuck you. And he starts to walk away and then he stops and he comes back. He goes, no, no, I'm sorry. Fuck me for casting you. The worst thing Whoa. I've ever heard. Well, I know that David Niven was talking about um, he was in a, a film with with someone and he said, I can't I, I apologize. I can't remember who the director was or who the actor yeah. was, but he said he must have done it 20 times. Probably Kubrick then. No, and, and he said to him, he finally said, you know, I've done this this happy i've done this mm-hmm. mean i've done this cruel i've done this a million different ways what do you want he said i want you to do it better <laughs> yeah and can't argue with that no so you know but i i love the fact that we got to do this i love the fact that i could we could wa- talk back and forth about this because i'm just as insecure as you you know i want to hear that it sounds that you enjoyed what you were doing you're a very talented and, writer Tati, well, and you, you should already, believe that i appreciate that and i i do at times actually believe it um you should and but you are a very great reader and i always say that i am so thankful that you said 
I'll read it. But you know how it is. I mean, and, and I'm sure, Trevor, you feel this way if you've ever watched yourself perform in a band on video or heard a song. All you can hear are what you think of the fuck ups. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think that's true of everybody. So as long as you out there don't hear my fuck ups too much and enjoy the books, that's all we can ask for. Yeah. And I, it, I think it's good uh, time to get uh, us um, get a uh, exclusive for you. Hmm. Um, it's not mentioned before, but we'll I'll mention on your podcast. Yeah. Two words: the oubliette. Ah. Yeah. What is that? <laughs> I'm working on a, a story called the oubliette. It's a steam pulp oh, murder mystery. Oh, nice. And I've been it's once been rolling around in my head quite a bit. I keep telling myself I'm going to finish yeah. before I do it. But it is a it's a steam it's steampunk, it's pulp fiction, it's murder mystery. It's a lot of things that I've not done before and it's scaring the shit out of me because murder mysteries are hard to write. Yeah. But sounds uh, fun you though. You will be the perfect person but to you are, But you are going Love a good to murder mystery. You are going to read it for me. I, I Is I it a novella read. or full length? It will probably be novella. Um, it's I don't see it as being a super yeah, yeah, yeah. long. It's going, but you. It sounds fun. But it, um, if I can get it to work out out here the way it's working out, yeah, in yeah, the brain, yeah. But it's a completely different a, thing. A I would love that. Reminder. I would absolutely love different. that. Anything you want me to read, I'll read. Um, that's although a, that's a great compliment. An exclusive for you guys, Ooh. and I'm going to leave you audience with a cliffhanger. I have recently had someone approach me about wanting to voice some of your work. And I'm not going to tell you who on the podcast. You guys out there listening will just have to figure it out for yourselves. Uh, uh, what? You tell me. I'll tell you off mic. Okay. Get off the mic now. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, well, thanks again for doing this. Thank you. Uh, uh, if you want to email us, lucky10,000 at Gmail. Leave us a five-star review on Stitcher, iTunes, or we'll read it on the air. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed the books. Read them. Listen to them. Do either. Do both. Whatever. Herminder, The Chine, Teddy Radiator, Teddy in the Bass Band, Trevor Furlong, Evan Harris. I hope you got lucky tonight. Bye. Bye. Thank you for being a part of the Lucky 10,000. Email us at lucky10,000 at gmail.com. Find Lucky 10,000 on Twitter at lucky underscore 10k. 